0: What a year this past month has been. Since the coronavirus pandemic has reshaped American life, questions about what happens afterward are now looming. Our nation, and humanity itself, has been thrust into a new reality that questions many aspects of our lives that simply haven't been asked before. Let's look past the light at the end of the tunnel and ponder what's next. Today is Monday, March 30th the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your coronavirus update, a special episode of your San Diego News Fix. John Wilkins, you cover a number of things at the Union-Tribune, and over the weekend, you wrote a story kind of looking ahead past this pandemic, asking the question, what parts of our lives that have changed during the pandemic are likely to stay in place afterwards? Let's start with the most obvious. How do you think this is going to change working from home?
1: Yeah, that's that's the one that's affecting uh, probably you know a great many many people in San Diego and, and there's some different school of thought about that but the main one is that a lot of companies have had to put a lot of money into the infrastructure to make it work and now that they've made that investment um, you know they can see that it works and they'll be uh, more likely maybe maybe to continue doing it
0: yeah certainly you know in these scenarios it's not the best situation but it would be great in the future if you know people who do work chess jobs at you're able to work from home to have the option more frequently than maybe you might have had in the past.
1: Yeah, and there's a a lot of research that shows obviously some benefits to it, right, for the environment. There are fewer people out driving their cars, and for the people who do have to drive to work, there'll be less traffic. So that's obviously a a plus, and it's also been shown to increase uh, the participation of women in the workforce because they're able to juggle their jobs at home with other things that they are traditionally sort of have uh, other duties that traditionally fall into them so those are some of the benefits and you know there are obviously some downsides um especially in creative enterprises that kind of um, depend on that free flow of ideas that seem to come only when you're kind of crossing each other in the hallways and and meeting in meeting rooms uh you, you know the kind of the kind of uh that happens when you're just kind of around people seems to be especially true for creative enterprises and some of them may may of course have to continue doing face-to-face uh work days at least part of the time
0: yeah certainly when we were back at 600b it was nice just to walk over to your desk and just be like hey john what do you think about this or that while you know we're here and i'm in my apartment talking to you you know over the phone yeah. because of this pandemic
1: yeah, I mean, there's, that's exactly right. Sometimes something will come to you and you immediately go over to the person and say, hey, have you thought about this? Or maybe we should do a story about that. And now that sort of you could slack somebody, but it's just really not quite the same. And it's very easy to get distracted by other things going on on your computer in front of you. So you don't reach out and make that make that sort of uh, connection
0: Mm -hmm, certainly and the second thing in your story was uh kind of in the sci-fi ish realm kind of asking the question what happens when some people are immune from this disease and some people aren't when you kind of explain that idea
1: well yeah it does come from sci-fi and that's one of the things david brand who's a local sci-fi writer uh mentioned to me in a phone conversation you know that's a that's a pretty familiar theme in a lot of sci-fi stories where um the population gets segregated for some reason, right? Gets divided. In fact, they people have to wear special clothing or they wear, may, may wear badges that uh, denote them uh, as being a certain kind of person. So
0: the idea here
1: would be, since um, we're still trying to feel our way through this, that if you could get to a point where you could identify the people who have had the virus and are now immune from it, those would be the people who, you know, you could send back into the workplace. So it, 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 there's some... Hypothesizing, going out among some of the more creative thinkers among us, that at some point we may reach, uh, you know, a, a place where where that kind of thing may may happen.
0: Yeah, that does raise some really interesting ideas. It's like, how do you be fair and equitable when you have, you know, in a sense, another class of individuals because they survived a disease? It's kind of wild when you think about it from kind of the ethics perspective.
1: Yeah, it is wild, and that's why that's what makes it fit perfectly within the sci-fi realm because. That's what that's what they do is imagine kind of wild possibilities for us as a people. And so, you know, obviously it would have to be worked out and be very carefully done, and there's a lot that's still unknown about it, but it's the one area of um, scientific testing that you don't hear that much about, right? There's a lot of discussion about um, what's going to happen when we finally get a vaccine and what's going to happen um, when we get better viral treatments for the people who have the disease. But uh, there's this whole other part of the testing going on which may actually come together faster than some of the others, which is to identify the people who've had it and now maybe have some immunities to it.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing. We're still learning so much about the disease that we really can't make that many assumptions. It's the first time this disease has been in humanity itself, so those defenses that we have built up against other diseases that are like related don't really re- apply here. So that's, this really is kind of a brave new world when it comes to coronavirus.
1: Well, and especially coronaviruses, right, because they tend to, you know, we've had, their coronaviruses have been around for a long time, and right? That's the common cold and other things that we traditionally get on a seasonal basis, and they mutate, you know, which is why the flu shot every year has different things in it, because they're making their best guesses about what this coming flu will be like. So, I mean, that will have to probably play a role, obviously, in trying to guard against this particular one as time goes by. But, um, you know, eventually we we'll may get to a point where, we know enough about it um, that uh, that the safeguards against it will be part of our annual flu shot.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, another point that you kind of touched on in your story is how the government may start to rethink the supply chain because we're seeing with the shortage of personal protective equipment, outsourcing all of this wasn't really the best idea. What do you think is going to change with that?
1: Well, there's a lot of people who... Um, uh, you know, experts in sort of global strategy, national, national security issues who come at it from that perspective and say this isn't just sort of a, you know, a convenience thing, a, a, a health thing, but it's, it's it has a lot to do with our national security. We're putting ourselves uh, at risk, uh, the future of the country economically and otherwise if we don't have our supply chain nailed down for these kinds of events. So they think there'll be a renewed emphasis on getting that up to snuff and that you'll, you, you may see uh, a boost in production uh, within America as opposed to relying on places elsewhere. Because like in China, right, a lot of things were made in China and other places for this. And when this virus hit, those countries said, wait a minute, you're not going to be sending all that stuff to other countries. You're, you're going to keep it here. So obviously it put a, a kink in the supply chain that might not otherwise have been there. So the thinking would be, uh, you know, maybe we should pay attention to that on the home front and uh, shore that up before another pandemic happens, which, as we all know now, uh, is likely to happen in the future, right? We're going to get more of these, so we might as well uh, be prepared for it.
0: Mm -hmm, Certainly. And there were stories from the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times about how the respective governors of New York and California had surpluses in the past, but because of the politics of the time of needing to balance a budget, those things fell by the wayside. So it's like we were once prepared for this kind of thing, but you know, people made decisions, and now we are not prepared.
1: Yeah, and that's that's sort of a, a human nature story that's been going on as long as you have been walking on the planet, I suspect. But you know, you get in, in certain times, you think of all these wonderful ideas about how to prepare, and you may even start spending some money on it. And something inevitably happens that um, that undercuts those plans financially, or you know, we just chase the, the most recent shiny object. So hopefully,
0: you know, the breadth.
1: The breadth of this particular outbreak, you know, it's in every state, and it's in I don't know how many countries now. I've stopped counting. Mm -hmm. will make people uh, recognize the seriousness of it and and put together a plan that they will follow through on.
0: Yeah, in addition to this whole work-from-home experiment, the nation's schools are also going through a massive experiment right now. Once things get up and running, San Diego Unified is going to transition to all online learning pretty soon. How do you feel that education will shift in this interesting time?
1: Well, colleges too, right? That's been a a debate on college campuses for quite a while now. You know, there are still professors who argue about whether they should allow their students to bring laptops into the classroom because, you know, some professors think it's going to be a distraction. They'll be watching a YouTube video instead of listening to the lecture. And there are other professors who say, you know, there are kids who take notes on their laptops and they're doing other research on it while they're listening to me. This is a group of people who are very good at multitasking that way. Well, now colleges and also um, uh, younger grades, in many cases, they're giving their kids laptops, right, so they can do the online learning. So it's pretty hard to make the argument that you can't bring laptops into a classroom anymore. So uh, I think it's probably uh, broken down uh, a lot of the resistance to online learning. And how that plays out will be interesting to see. I mean, there's a fair number of college campuses that have discussed, if not moved, in the direction of canceling Friday classes, for example, because think of all the overhead costs that you, um, that you save. And when I say cancel, I mean, cancel in person on campus classes. Mm -hmm. You still may have a Friday class, but it's online. So, you know, I think it's uh, raises some interesting questions for a lot of industries about where you might be able to, um, do some real cost savings in terms of uh, infrastructure and overhead costs, right? If you don't have to have have all those buildings and, uh, Think of think of the costs that you might be able to save for that, mm-hmm. which of course has other other um, you know domino effects down the line in terms of uh, uh, cost and job losses when you start taking away those businesses. Right, but it's certainly a discussion that is going to happen at a deeper level now because of this.
0: Yeah, when it comes to working and learning and these kind of things that have traditionally been truly social. It does kind of raise the question as to what are the things that require face-to-face communication and what are things that can be purely digital. It's We might get closer to having a better answer after a couple months of this, it seems.
1: Yeah, and I, well, you'll also see some discussion along with that, too. Uh, obviously, the dangers of the kind of isolation that can happen when uh, people are no longer having face-to-face interactions. And, of course, that's been connected to any number of
0: mental, mental illnesses
1: and other problems. Over the years, from from people who, uh, you know, find themselves uh, lonely in ways that are not healthy for them. Mm-hmm. So all of that's going to have to go into the mix as we move forward. But uh, clearly, we'll be we'll be doing these, uh, we'll be looking at these things and talking about them in ways that we haven't before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does kind of raise kind of the broader question of, you know, what is the true importance of connection and community and what that really means because. I think people, especially you know, many in San Diego are entering their third week of isolation. This kind of cabin fever is setting in, and it makes you kind of realize how quickly things changed.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I will be uh, be interested to see how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, if it wasn't so uh, dangerous and scary, it would be a pretty interesting experiment to watch unfold.
0: Certainly. And uh, finally, there's one thing that uh, experts you spoke to said that was certainly going to change after all of this. It has many uh, immunologists pretty excited. What is it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, right, uh, public health officials have been urging all of us to wash our hands for 20 seconds with soap uh, for, you know, uh, for much of my lifetime, and now it's finally happening, and uh, I suspect that's one of the things that will uh, remain with us for, for quite a while. Uh people, you know, people paying attention to that because it's uh, not just in this instance, but in any number of instances that, you know, you can get sick from not having clean hands. So it's interesting to watch on the plus side in terms of connection. People are really trying to find ways online to make connections. And uh, there's some suggestion on the part of some psychologists that people are actually maybe finally breaking through some barriers of superficiality that, that govern a lot of the conversations we have with each other. And they're actually having discussions, certainly with family members, on a deeper level uh, through Zoom or Skype in ways that maybe they weren't doing before. So in that respect, it may actually be uh, kind of a healthy thing um, that's going on in terms of our online.
0: All right. John Wilkins, thank you so much.
1: Uh, You're welcome. Thanks for talking with me.
0: Now your coronavirus update. San Diego County health officials reported another record-high jump in daily-confirmed coronavirus cases, 84. That brings the current case count to 603. Mayor Kevin Faulkner has signed an executive order designating all city employees as disaster service workers. The action will allow any city employee, regardless of their job title, to help protect life and property, support the city's Emergency Operations Center, and mitigate the effects of the COVID-19 emergency. The city's workforce includes more than 11,000 employees. Faulkner said some city employees had already been assisting with duties outside their job descriptions. Some code enforcement officers help parks and recreation staff educate residents about beach and park closures. The order will also allow city library workers to assist hospitals by helping with supply distribution and food delivery. San Diego County issued new rules for cruise ships that dock in the city. Starting April 1st, cruise ships won't be able to disembark passengers or crew members. The decision follows the announcement that at least one passenger and one crew member from the Disney Wonder later tested positive for COVID-19. The ship sailed into San Diego and offloaded passengers and crew members more than a week ago. Several cruise ships have disembarked passengers and crew members in San Diego recently. For example, the Celebrity Eclipse docked on Monday to begin offloading about 2,300 passengers. Baja California Governor Jaime Bonilla has deployed the military in order to keep people at home. In a video released to social media, Bonilla said people roaming the streets would now be prohibited. Grocery stores, pharmacies, and hospitals would remain open. Health officials in San Diego County, which reported its first confirmed case on March 7th, closed all restaurants to in-house dining on March 16th. Tijuana reported its first confirmed case on March 17th, 10 days later. 11 cases have been reported so far in the city. San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park will remain closed to the public. Both attractions have been closed since March 16th. Staffers remain on the grounds at both parks to care for the animals. Even though the parks are closed, San Diego Zoo Global said it would continue to support the employees through April 19th. The Del Mar Fairgrounds will be distributing food in partnership with the San Diego Food Bank to about 1,000 families. The event will start at 10 a.m. on Friday. Food will be distributed on a first-come, first-served basis and put directly in the car's trunk. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. We want to remind you that information is your first line of defense. The San Diego Union-Tribune is dedicated to bringing you the latest news in print, online, and on our podcasts. Right now, you can read our public health stories related to the virus online for free without hitting the paywall. But you can get all of your news at your fingertips wherever and whenever you want if you're a subscriber. Don't miss a story. Go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.